Good to have you here tonight. You guys excited? You ready to go? <laughs> the four of us are going to go for it. Now, uh, one of my dreams come true tonight. Right now in this very moment, uh, one of my dreams, the longings of my heart, uh, I have forever uh, wanted to begin a teaching with this picture right here. I've forever longed it. And, and tonight it's finally here. Okay. Now, <laughs> I had an absolute obsession in middle school and high school with the RMS Titanic. And I, I think largely uh, because, not, not because of the, uh, the, the catastrophic loss, uh, but because it was claimed to be unsinkable and proven to be not. So I'm instantly enamored by things that, that make very, very bold claims and that either uh, live up to those bold claims or fall short of them. Um, and so uh, I know most of you have heard, but the Titanic uh, in its uh, voyage didn't fare so well, okay? Um, if you've seen the movie, uh, the ending is fairly self-explanatory, okay? Um, but the interesting thing about the Titanic, and the reason why it was claimed to be unsinkable, was because of these. Underneath the ship, there were several compartments. And the thought was, by building these massive compartments, and uh, even more specifically, these uh, bunkheads, that if something were to happen, you know, surely it wouldn't, but if for some, you know, some reason, by some random chance, something happened... Water would fill one of the compartments, leaving the rest of the ship okay. And as long as, I believe the number was, as long as uh, four to five of those compartments weren't flooded, everything would be awesome, okay, uh, taken from the Lego movie. The problem is, next slide, the problem is this is what happened, okay. Water, water started to fill the compartments, go over the bunkheads. The ship started to tilt, and as the ship tilted, then the water was able to go in more and more and more compartments and what happened in the RMS Titanic many moons ago is the compartments failed. Uh, one of the most epic uh, moments in the movie is not the song, right? And I don't even remember when the movie came out. But seriously, there was a time in my life, a period, a season, 24 hours, where, where I would just hear that... And I would start crying, like, right away. It was, like, that's all it would, just like, the, it could be on a flute, a trombone, it didn't matter. I mean, someone could have played on a snare drum, and I would have started crying, okay? But one of the most epic um, uh, moments of the, of the movie is, like, that last, one of the last scenes where the captain is holding, uh, what do they call this, the, the steering wheel? Okay, when the captain's <laughs> 10 and 2, right? Like, when the captain's holding the steering wheel, and then all of a sudden the water breaks in, the glass breaks and in that moment, like, this, this man had to be thinking, but I thought the compartments wouldn't fail. It's interesting. Um, now, you, you may be wondering to yourself, like, okay, so, uh, Mark, was that just a weird reason to begin with the Titanic? Um, no, it's interesting that most of us, for whatever reason, reasons of which we'll discover tonight, we live incredibly compartmentalized. And my contention is uh, this evening, we live compartmentalized because we have a compartmentalized view of the gospel. Uh, we don't view the gospel holistically. We don't see the power of what Christ has done holistically. 
Uh, instead, we pick and choose uh, compartments of the story, the power of Jesus, that we can either most understand or that seem to most affect us where we are at. And in doing so, often limiting the full scope of the power of Christ. And I think you'd agree with me that in doing that, the compartments continually proven as failures. Why? Because the gospel is holistic. The work of Christ and the power of Jesus in an empty tomb and the bloody cross and a perfect life who's going to come again is encompassing. He's done a work that is holistic. And so tonight I want to look at the dangers from the letter of Colossians. We'll begin in chapter 3 tonight. We've made it all the way through two chapters. Okay, We're just blazing through Colossians at a snail's pace. All right? But we're going to discover tonight from God's word why and how a compartmentalization of the gospel is so dangerous. So open your Bibles or turn your LED screens to Colossians chapter 3. Um, listen, I'm gonna, we're going to go on a journey tonight. And um, oh my goodness. Like, I really, really hope for, for you and for I, like, I, I think it's possible tonight. Not contrived, but I think it's possible that like such a joy could rush in this room tonight that maybe just maybe, maybe just maybe, okay, like you actually like have to start standing up and just enjoy celebrating the work of the Lord. I mean, I know you're so trained to sit nicely and comfortably and to only speak when spoken to, and, but, but maybe in the freedom of expression, the joy of the Lord could grab our heart tonight. So here we go, Colossians uh, chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, the ever-famous Colossians 3 verse 1, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Powerful text. I want to begin with the first phrase. If then you have been raised with Christ. Listen, so far in Colossians, if there's one theme that has been dominant in our discussions, it is the text that was read earlier tonight, Romans chapter 6, The old man is dead, the new man has come, our sins have been crucified with Christ. And that's a good thing, right? Okay. So the question here from Paul is, if then we have been raised with Christ, where do we see this kind of language? Where and how have we been raised with Christ? Earlier in Colossians, here's what Paul wrote, okay? Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also, look at this, raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. In other words, in Christ there is this This unity, not just in his death, but also in his resurrection. Okay, we also uh, see this in an earlier uh, Paul writing. Check this out, next slide from Romans 6. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. What's it say? Come on. Who? We, too, might walk in newness of life. In other words, please hear me, church, tonight. The tomb is behind us. It's behind us. And it's not Easter Sunday yet, everybody. But the tomb's behind us. If we've been unified with him in the baptism of his death, then we have been unified in him, in his resurrection, in newness of life. And then therefore, when Jesus walked out the tomb, guess what? In Christ, so did you. And that's an amazing thing. Like in and of itself in that truth, there comes with it an insurmountable amount of joy. That's why scripture says when Paul writes, death no longer has a sting. Why? Because the tomb is behind me. 
in Christ, like, I don't have to live like a dead man anymore. I'm alive. You guys have heard me say over and over and over, this was like, this is my biggest issue at times. When the gathering of believers, and certainly there are some here who don't believe and we're so encouraged that you're here and thankful for your curiosity or thankful for the relationships that brought you, but those that are here, that are in Christ, like why in the world, if all this is true, if we've been raised with him, why in the world would we ever appear or seem like we're actually at a funeral when the corporate gathering of the church comes together in this way? It's not a funeral procession, it's actually the celebration of a resurrection, and that never goes away, okay? So Colossians chapter 2 says that. Back, uh, next slide. If then you have been raised with Christ, the scripture goes on to say, seek the things that are above. <laughs> so uh, this is really, really interesting, right? I have all kinds of fond childhood memories right now of hide-and-go-seek coming to mind. Um, I also have uh, like a first love interest coming to mind currently. I've talked about her before. Her name was Amy Bursler. And um, she lived across the street when I was seven years old. I remember, this is a 100% true story. I'm not suggesting this in the teaching of biblical dating. But um, when I was seven, and my mom's here tonight, um, so thankful she is. What an amazing woman. And uh, I remember going to her when I was seven years old, like holding Amy's hand and, uh, and asking her, uh, asking my mom and my dad if, if we could be boyfriend and girlfriend, right? And, um, and I was bold. I mean, you guys know the story of Heidi. Like, on our, on our first date, I was like, I'm going to marry you, you know? And so, seven years old, man, Amy Bursler. And, and I remember, listen, I remember being so, like, like consumed with the pursuit of, uh, of, you know, like, how love felt, uh, how love made me react. And, you know, it wasn't love, but, but just that, like, puppy dog, you know, butterflies in the stomach, um, like, like, so you remember the first time that you went to a junior high dance, and you were dancing, right, like, like this, okay? This was your dance move right here in junior high, right? When you were dancing in junior high, and, and like, the, the, the person next to you didn't, like, they didn't know who you were, but, uh, or they didn't know that you re- were really interested in them, but, man, like, you would do anything just to pursue them, and, like, you were single-track-minded, absolute 100% seeking of who they were. Uh, some of you guys get this way uh, just in being a, uh, or having a very determined personality. How many of you guys would consider yourself determined, right? And some of you right now determined not to admit it. And that's cool. Um, the word seeking here is really, really interesting. Because the, the, the actual deeper root here of the Greek is uh, keep seeking. Uh, so in other words, if you've been raised with Christ... Keep seeking. There's, there's something that's happened in you that's allowing you, having been unified with him in his resurrection, that's now allowing you to keep seeking. Um, the biggest image that I have in my mind is, um, so if you've ever been under the water for a long period of time, and, and, and all of a sudden, like, you get really, really scared that you're actually going to drown, all right? And you could be under there for whatever reason. Like maybe it was because you got pushed under while surfing or, you know, whatever the reason is. And you look up and you see the light. And for that period of time between uh, when, uh, when you realize how scared you are and when you actually get to the surface, would you agree with me? Like there's nothing else on your mind. I mean, it is. I have to, I have to get there. If anything would distract me, like if, if anything would 
come against me. Like, I, ha- I have to get above the surface. And there's no distractions, right? There's, there's one thought on your mind. I, I just, I need air. I really think that's what Paul is trying to say here. Keep seeking. Um, keep seeking the things that are above. Keep seeking the things that, without any distraction, would allow your mind, your heart, your soul, your strength, all of who you are, to be 100% focused on one thing. Now, that thing he says that in verse 1, right? Seek the things that are above where who is. Come on. Where Christ is. So it's as if to say, seek now. Keep seeking now. The person, the work, the understanding, the glory, the grace of Christ. Keep seeking it. Don't stop Seeking, and then the scripture adds where he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. This is a quote from Psalm 110. We certainly see uh, many mentions of this same thing in scripture, okay? The, the seat being the idea of the finished work of Jesus, not to be confused with how Stephen sees him in the middle parts of Acts, actually standing, okay? The image is the same. Jesus is in glory. He has ascended, and what Paul says is seek those things. Pursue those things, with reckless abandonment, with all that you are. So I want to begin tonight as our journey deepens, just by, uh, next slide, uh, working with this. Are you seeking, or my friends, are you sightseeing? Uh, you know what happens when you sightsee, right? So you, you, you like wearing your fanny pack, right? And you're okay taking some pictures? And you're like, you know, a few selfies. And it's all about the landscape. Um, you're cool just meandering around. Um, some of us, the 30 of us, are getting ready to travel to Ecuador on Friday. And uh, we'll get to walk around the beautiful city of Quito, the capital city. Beautiful things there. Old, old, ancient church buildings and all kinds of structures. And as you watch people sightsee, um, they're like just walking around. They're... They're pursuing, kind of, but it's more about just being there than it is actually seeking an interest or a pursuit. Uh, But seeking is much different. It's much deeper. Uh, Seeking bears with it this tremendous amount of intentionality. Uh, Seeking says, I literally need nothing else. Like, I just, I have to get there. Um, uh, The the word actually means to, to seek to find something. Okay, so it, it bears with it all of this terminology is of I'm going for it, I'm pursuing it, and nothing will get in the way. That's what he's saying. Uh, in another place in scripture, right? Seek first the kingdom of heaven. Okay. So all of this is, is nice. And verse 1 is, is a really nice trinket. It's a nice treat. It's a great truth. But then all of a sudden, he adds this in verse 2. And oh, my goodness. Set your minds... On things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Okay, all right, here we go. Fire the uh, Christian versus secular talk, right? So you would think in this moment, the right way to approach this text is, all right, anyone right now who listens to Z1077, probably going to land yourself in hell, okay? Or the argument of anyone who ever watches an R-rated flick, you know, certainly is denying the name of Jesus. Like, I'm not making those statements tonight, but all of us have been in settings where that's been the, that's been the case. 
Hey, if you ever expose yourself to an R rating, if you, you know, happen to land on Z1077 and, and sing the song Uptown Funk, good chance. Good chance. All right, you're not going to wind up in glory. You know what that kind of teaching is doing to the world? You, you guys understand, right? It's the same thing that it did to you when you heard that. It didn't teach you liberty in Jesus and discernment through the Spirit. It taught you legalism. It taught you, oh, I better not go to the R-rated movie, not because you were convicted not to, which certainly would be a good thing if the Spirit would convict you not to, but just because someone had superimposed an extra biblical list of rules. And then you went with them, even though the Bible never says, don't go see an R-rated movie. Now, there's all kinds of scriptures that would challenge seeing certain things and, and uh, filtrating our mind through certain things, but God's given us a spirit. Now, that's one way to approach this, uh, this set your minds on things that are above and not things on the earth. That's one way to approach the argument, okay? We start, everyone writes down right now, like, where you think you're being convicted, and then we just go for it. But I actually think um, going through the practical list of how is 100% the wrong question in verse 2. And i got to be honest, I've spent my life trying to figure verse 2 out. Okay, I mean, I've preached this, this verse over and over and over, and it was always like, okay, how do we live in the world but not be of the world? And here's a list of practicality. Instead tonight, I want to come at this verse from a completely different approach. I want to ask, how do we live in the world but not being citizens here? How do we do that? but in a way that's really asking the question, why? Okay, next slide. So the big thing that I have questions about when I saw verse 2, this time I studied it, was like, how does the mind play into all of this? Right? So there is an insurmountable amount of scripture that talks about the mind before Christ. Okay? A lot of this was stuff that's brand new to me. It may not be brand new to you, but it's at least brand new to me. So let's journey through this, okay? The first, and I just want to start with Colossians. Next slide, okay? This is the mind we are born with. Everyone born depraved as a sinner, okay? And you who once were alienated and hostile in what? In mind. Okay, so there was a time where as you were born into sin, you were hostile in mind. Not just in heart, not just in deed, but hostile in mind. And yes, because, and partly in part because uh, of your mind, you were doing those evil deeds. The second piece I want to show you is this. Next slide. Uh, from Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Look at this. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Okay, this is, this is the teaching that um, Satan has been given power here and now for a season. It is for a season. Certainly God's sovereignty reigns supreme over him. That the spirit uh, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Look at this. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the what? And the mind. And we're going to see a lot more, but I, I just want to pause and, and gather us here for a second. Listen, most of us have, have compartmentalized the mind from the heart, the mind from the body. We've left the mind alone. And I'm, I'm just asking you tonight, pun intended here, like to allow the mind to be engaged a bit. Okay, we were, once, uh, ch uh, the, we were once by nature children of wrath, that's not a good thing, like the rest of mankind, pre-Jesus. Our third passage here on this uh, topic, check this out, next slide. If anyone teaches from 1 Timothy 6 a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching 
that accords with godliness. He is puffed up with deceit and understands nothing. That's encouraging. He has an unhealthy, look at this, craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil uh, suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and uh, and deprived of the truth. Okay? Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. In other words, uh, folks who are pursuing this, they're in their minds completely depraved, devoid of the things of God, and uh, d- deprived, therefore, of the truth. Okay? For scripture, out of five here on this question, next slide. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, what's the word? Come on. Come on. It cannot. So here's what happens. Okay, we're going to look at the fifth uh, uh, scripture in a second. Here's what happens. The unregenerate, in other words, not saved person sitting in the confines of biblical teaching, starts hearing things about behavior transition. Or we share and preach a gospel, unbeknownst to us potentially, that is behavior modification and then Jesus loves you. So hey, listen, you get all ship shape, okay? And then you present yourself to Jesus, and then because of your cleanliness and because he sees that you, you know, you work through those addictions, then Jesus is going to say, well done. You've cleaned yourself up. You've done a great job. Now I can call you a son, and then if a son, an heir. Well, the problem is, do you understand that if those folks already hostile in mind towards God are learning behavior modification, do you understand the long-lasting effects on the church? Not the church of Christ that are in Christ, but people that are sitting in seats who think that they are saved, and Jesus will one day say, listen, I like... I I know that you prophesied in my name, and I know you did a bunch of good stuff, but I don't know you because salvation only comes through my son. And yet we're trying to engage the mind of people whose minds are hostile towards God. It's it's really, really interesting. Okay, one more text to add to this before we move on. But he turned to Peter and said, in Peter's shining moment, get behind me, Satan. That's not a thing you want to be called by the Lord Jesus, okay? You are a hindrance for me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. What's really cool about this is this is pre-regeneration for uh, for Peter. In other words, pre-Holy Spirit in Peter's life. Jesus calls him out. Okay, Peter's wrestling with uh, Jesus, talking about his death. And he's like, "Uh, get behind me, Satan. Okay, I wonder what that would have done to Peter's ego. Jesus, like the Lord just, I just saw him do a miracle and now he's calling me Satan. Like this is really, really strange. We are born with this kind of mind. Okay, anyone who's a parent, I talk about it all the time. You see this in your kids all the time. Okay, maybe it's time you start telling your kids, get behind me, Satan. Okay, like maybe it's time to implement that kind of teaching. Maybe not. I'm just, you know, throwing it out there. You discern. Okay. We are born with this kind of mind. It's hostile towards God. But next question, check this out. The mind after salvation in Christ which I have never thought about, never honestly understood, always getting to Colossians 3, 2, saying, set your minds on things above. All right, everyone, here's how you do that. 
And when I was in college, we would teach people as they were, you know, as they were struggling to lust, we would say, all right, when a cute girl, uh, when, when a cute girl walks down the hallway, shields up. You know? That's what we would say. So we would say, shields up. Like, look down at the ground. You know, don't, don't let your eyes wander. Shields up. And so we were teaching one another in Christ behavior modification instead of celebrating what we had in Christ. If there's been one journey through the letter of Colossians so far, I hope it's that your mind is growing in your understanding of how a holistic, powerful, real the gospel is in all things. Okay, so check this out. The mind after salvation in Christ Colossians chapter 1, and you who were once alienated in a hostile mind, we just looked at this, doing evil deeds, what has he done? He is now reconciled in his Jesus, body of flesh, by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. This is connected to what? Hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, your life that is distant from Christ. He's done a work of reconciliation. So I ask you yet again, church, as I've been asking you over and over in Colossians, are we new creations in Jesus or not? Is the dead man dead or not? Again, we say one thing because we know that the doctrine should be true. But then we're living like the dead man still exists. He's reconciled. He's done a work. Next slide. Check this out. This is crazy. Okay? So if there be any encouragement in Christ, from Philippians 2, a famous text, any comfort from love, any participation in the what? This is huge. In the what? In the spirit, okay? So in other words, when we go to Ecuador, we talk about it all the time. One of the beautiful pieces is, even though I speak hardly any Spanish, okay? I try. I really, I, I try, okay? This will be my sixth trip, all right? I mean, I try to work through it. I, those of you guys who know me, you know I say donde aquí all the time. I think that that means something, and it means we're here, which, like, W-H-E-R-E, like, we're, it, it just doesn't make sense, but it's one of my favorite phrases. Anyway... When we go to Ecuador, we're instantly connected with those who cannot speak the language. Why? Because we have the same spirit. And look at this. Any affection and sympathy, look what Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same what? Come on. Of the same mind. In other words, when God gives the people of his son, okay, when God gives those people the spirit, when the scripture says we're sealed in the spirit, There is something as well that happens in the mind, giving us the capability in Christ to be of the same mind, okay? In case you're not understanding the point, he reiterates, having the same love, being in full accord, and just in case, of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves, a really big teaching in this. Now, I'm going to come down, and we're, we're going to have a chat for a second. <laughs> okay, here we go. So believers, uh, when we go to the soup kitchen, all of a sudden everything gets real. Believers in Christ, unified in action, are seemingly unified holistically in the spirit. But then what happens? Then all of a sudden, someone throws a hot topic question, right? I was uh, just talking with a brother uh, just a little bit earlier. And, uh, and that brother uh, was sharing with me that um, uh, some pastors who have never been here nor met me um, uh, critique our, our community because we believe that you do not have to be baptized to be saved, okay? That's what we believe, 
uh, we believe that baptism is a symbol. It's not a, it's, it's not a piece of salvation. Okay? One of the texts, though there are many, that we stand on is the fact that the, the thief on the cross was not baptized. Okay? We've talked about it before. Jesus doesn't say, all right, take you off the cross. Now I baptize you. No, Jesus is dying as well. Okay? And then all of a sudden, like, even though in that moment I'm just encouraging my brother, look, I don't know those pastors. I don't know that church, so I'm not going to speak against them. I'm just asking you to, to wrestle with the text, man. Okay? But it's interesting, right, like how quickly division comes in through the mind. In other words, can I ask you guys this? Is the world seeing a church, okay, in Christ? So Methodist, Presbyterian, okay, uh, Presbycostal, and Lutheran, and what, like whatever the no- denomination or mix of the denomination or non-denomination, whatever. Is the world, listen, is the world seeing one in spirit and one in mind? Can you now understand with me why they're a, a bit confused? Can you now, just for a second, say, well, no wonder the world's like, why would I want to deal with those people? Like, you go over here and you hear one thing. You go over there and you hear another thing. Like, what, like, like well, who am I to believe? What, like, you know, they wear the same banner. They all have the cross uh, necklace. They go to Chris Tomlin concerts. I mean, you know, these people, there's something, uh, something that unifies them. But Now, obviously, I'm opening a, a gi- ginormous can that I can't fully address. I'm just asking you to wrestle with. Don't you understand why the world is confused? Because the reality is of the scripture, okay? And Philippians 2 continues to affirm this. Then we're going to look at an unbelievable text that I've never seen. Okay, go back. Uh, I want to finish this text, okay? Let each of you look, verse 4, not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. Why? Okay? Why? Come on. What's the, what's the, what's the line? It's yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, I was born with a mind that was hostile to God. That's the kind of mind that I was born with. I was anti, by nature, God. I wanted nothing to do with God. We, I think you'd agree with me, focus a whole lot on the heart, don't we? And certainly that's in the text. But what about the mind as well, my friends? You see, you start, you start talking about the mind, and people think then you've got to be theologians to understand the Lord. And I'm finally asking you what I wrestled with a lot. I used to think the theologians were fuddy-duddies. Who all they, I shouldn't have said that because it seems a 90-ish, an 80-ish word. You know, people who thought like theologians were just stuck in the mud, also old school, whatever. Like, people thought, I thought theologians were just people that sat around and talked. The problem is theology is view of God. And do you remember verse 1? If you have been raised with Christ, then what? Then do something. In other words, action is built on doctrine. Okay? You, like, never in the scripture do you see Jesus, Paul, anybody calling people to action if they haven't built it on truth. This is why you struggle parenting when you just tell your kids, hey, listen, I don't want you guys to go over there. And your kids say, why? And you're like, because I told you so. Remember that? And you're, you remember being a kid telling me, like, not understanding. What do you mean? Because you told me so. Okay? Listen, you tell the kid not to go out in the street. And you don't connect it with why? What do you think they're going to do? They're going to test the limits. Dad says, don't go out in the street. He's holding back from me. The street must be a party. You know? He doesn't want me to go in the street. No, what do you do as a parent? You take your kid in your arms. You say, listen. You go out there and you don't look both ways, son, I love you, bad things will happen. And I say son because my daughter listens to that instruction. Son, bad things will happen. 
I'm building understanding on truth. I'm, I'm calling you to action because of doctrine. So I, I'm just in my own heart, as I started processing these things, I'm really, really wrestling, even in our own body, the things that we let divide us. When we have been given in Christ a different kind of mind, it's yours in Christ. Now, you want to see the kicker? Hello. Check this out, okay? Next slide. I don't even know if you want to see this, okay? First Corinthians chapter 2. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, okay? Like, we should all understand this, okay? The person who, who um, has an unregenerate spirit, like, the, the cross is foolishness, Okay? They are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Okay? The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. In other words, because Christ stands in our stead, now in, in Christ we are celebrated as sons. Now, verse 16. Check this out. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct them? Quoted from Isaiah. But we have the mind of Christ. Oh, my goodness. Now, if I were to just throw up this verse, uh, we'd have some problems, right? Like if I were just to say, all right, we're going to build a whole doctrine uh, on, we have the mind of Christ on this verse. Because most of you right now are like, I don't have the mind of Christ. <laughs> right? Maybe that's only me, okay? But you start thinking about the things that you think about, the things that you wrestle with, and you're like, but, but. But how is that displaying the mind of Christ? I certainly don't feel like, I certainly don't understand like Christ does. Okay. But I can't deny the scripture, so that means I have to start wrestling with it. So are you ready to wrestle some more? Okay. All right, let's keep going. Next slide. Okay. So the next question then is how have we compartmentalized the work of the gospel in light of those things? All right. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Next slide. Okay. Maybe some of you guys remember this. Matthew chapter 22. Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is. <laughs> uh, Jesus uh, is trying to be trapped uh, by a group of, as it were, folks who are incredibly mentally engaged with what they thought to be the truth in the scripture. The problem is they are so mentally engaged with it, they were looking at the person who uh, in Judaism they were a longing for in the Redeemer, looking at him in the eye and yet condemning him in, in their heart. Okay, so they ask him, trying to trap him, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, quoting Deuteronomy 6, you shall love the Lord your God, please somebody here, with all your what? With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, uh, this is one of those verses that you just kind of skip over, right? You're like, okay, that's cool, I'm, gonna I'm, I'm supposed to love God. So Jared and I, like, we, we went to work on this verse. Because I was like, Jared, what I'm seeing in Scripture is that I used to have this kind of mind. But now in Christ, when I read the Scripture that says, set my mind on the things that above, like, I'm starting to understand what's happening. It's like God has not just done a work in my, as we would say, our heart. God has done a work in my mind. He's allowing me to understand things about his character that I couldn't before. He's allowing me to cognitively grow in my understanding of the depth of his character. Before Christ, it would have been folly to me. But now, in Christ, guess what? It is a celebration. Okay. 
So when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, Mark adds strength. Okay, the gospel of Mark adds the fourth. What is he saying? He's saying everything that you are, every piece of you. But what have we been taught about love? What is love? Right? I'm just in a singing mood. Okay? What have we been taught about love? Okay? Love with your heart. Okay? We'll even say things, come on now, come on now. We'll even say things in dating, and I, I don't believe this is wrong, but I just want you to see the language. We'll even tell girls, guard your heart. What about guard your mind? What about guard your being? Instead, what do we do? We lump all of it, even an example like this, into one category in the heart. And I'm just saying, does Jesus do that? Does he lump everything together? No. Okay, then he adds love your neighbor as yourself. And that's not to be uh, diminished. In fact, our whole vision statement here at Matthias is loving him and loving his. It's taken, taken straight from that. Okay? So then what happens in compartment, uh, compartmentalization? Next slide. Okay? I drew this. Uh, put a smiley face on him. Th- this is <laughs> decent, I thought. All right? Um, I put a smiley face because, you know, just seemed like the thing to do. Okay? I really didn't have a great reason. Now, um, next slide. Again, this seems like a weird aloha kind of wardrobe. Um, Mind, heart, soul, and strength. If God has done a work in my mind, and if God, if Romans 12 is is true, that I'm not to conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by by the what? By the renewing of my mind, then that means that I'm justified in Christ, seen as innocent, Okay, courtroom terms. But then what's happening is I'm being sanctified. In other words, I'm like a kid who's growing up in maturation. One day, even scripture says this in Hebrews, I'm going to leave mama's milk. I'm going to start chomping on some mature food. Okay. But my maturation, listen, is not just my heart. My maturation or my sanctification or the growth that is happening is all of me. When most of us engage with one of these things, let's work through them. Some of you in here are heavy head hitters. You start talking about theology, you start jumping out your chair, right? You know what propitiation means, backwards and forward. You know the Greek word for it, even though there hardly is one. Like, you know it. Okay, people start talking about all kinds of isms, you get excited. Okay, the, the pursuit of Jesus from the cognitive standpoint, conversations about that, you get excited. And maybe some of those same folks, that doctrine isn't affecting emotion. That doctrine isn't affecting joy. That doctrine isn't changing heart. It's become for you a doctrinal pursuit alone. Others of you, oh my. Okay? Emotional, heart, 
wear everything on your sleeve kinds of people. Again, not diminishing that. Um, I would classify myself as definitely leaning that way. But then disengaging cognitively. You're some of the same people that pursued Jesus in an experience, hopeful yet again, to with some great teaching or through some awesome singing or even just the body of Christ, to be brought to some kind of emotion while distancing the emotion from the cognitive understanding of God's character. Well, the problem with both of those, before we even move on, is God is doing a sanctifying work in all of us. It's not just a changed heart. He's changing, renewing, conforming our mind away from this world and to him. And not just that, but my mind is more interested in him. The things that were folly, like all of a sudden now, and and you're like, but Mark, I, I don't understand the scripture. And so you know what happens? And the enemy is winning so many battles here. I'm not going to say the war because he won't win, and I'm thankful for that. But he's winning so many little battles in your heart by, by causing you to believe that because you can't understand this chapter, that you should just scratch the scripture altogether. And I'm going to challenge you right now, and I hope every single one of you hear this. If you think somehow that the representation of Christ can be shown out of your life and that you can seek the things above while distancing cognitively, I hope you understand right now that is 100% in error. And yet, where do we find ourselves? Distancing ourselves from the scripture that is thankfully teaching us about the character of God. Thinking uh, to ourselves that to love God is in this kind of emotional facet that we understand in the human kind of love. Someone in sixth grade said, I love you, I check, you know, I, I like, I love you too, and now we understand love. He doesn't stop there. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Okay, the, the Jewish understanding of this would have been um, not just your whole being, but your intentions, your, your will, like your motive. You're loving him with your whole person. Now, um, some of you right now are like, why does this matter? <laughs> Mark, you seem really excited about something that I'm not even sure I understand exactly the point. We're disengaging cognitively, though we've been given the mind of Christ. We think that the work of God has only been, and is only changing our heart. We've compartmentalized the work of the gospel. Listen, he has this, but he, he, he can't have this. Mark, man, if, he, if God knew the things I was thinking... This is why the whole journey of Colossians has been, the old man is dead, I'm healed in Christ, I'm learning how to walk as one healed, how to feel and express as one is healed, and how to think as one who's been healed. How to engage God's character through God's word as one whose sins who have been crucified on the cross of Christ. Mark, are you saying we're perfect? Of course not. First John says that we claim to be without sin. We are liars. No one here is going to say that once the dead man is gone, that there's not a battle. You know what the battle is now? The battle is my mind isn't doing what my heart is feeling. My actions, my being, my serving isn't connecting with how awesome the character of God is or how I'm being stirred to follow him. 
That's the war that Paul talks about in Romans 7. That's the, why do I do what I don't want to do and don't do what I do do and a whole bunch of other do's. What he's saying is, the war is this battle. God has regenerated me and giving me his spirit. The scripture says tonight he's given me a different kind of mind. But it's when these things disconnect that I start living compartmentally. And um, then the world, guess what? Sees Christians, believers, you and I, um, not just not consistent, but that have like somehow put one facet of their life in a suitcase and zip it up tight, and then another facet of their life at work, and they leave it at work. Uh, have you guys ever heard the whole old, old adage like, leave work at work? I understand the premise, but don't you understand all of our language and what it points to? Leave nowhere, like leave nothing nowhere. Like I want to be the same person at work that I am at, with you all. If somehow I walk into Quick Trip and I got a, a, a scowl on my face because I'm angry at the world and then I show up here three minutes later with a Diet Coke in my hand having been changed by a chocolate long john and then all of a sudden I smile like God's done a work. Do you see the problem? No, I've been raised with the person of Christ. And so because I've been raised, then I walk in a quick trip because the tomb's in the background. And as I'm doing it, I'm cognitively understanding the power of Christ and what the gospel has done. And that that cognition, not left alone, but that cognition is all of a sudden um, not just fueling or not driving, but connecting with my joy and with my hope and with my emotion while my actions Start following suit. It's beautiful. Okay. Well, thankfully, uh, oh my goodness. <laughs> thankfully, like verse 2 is, is really kind of just starting. You're like, this is going to be a long night. Check this out. Next, uh, next slide. Uh, verse 3. For you have died. Okay. And someone see this. And your life is what? It's hidden. It's hidden in Christ. So I just, I want you to take a second, okay, because sometimes we don't allow for room in this. Okay, but if I were to give you a, this, this would be a whole lot of fun, I wish we could do it. If I were to give you like a, a, a pen or a crayon or one of those like cool magic markers with like multiple, you know, colored ends and a little like piece of paper and I were to say, all right, draw verse three. Wouldn't it be interesting? Right? I'm not an artist. Um, my stick man was pretty good. Save as from Google Images. Um, but if I were to write this, like, just purely not understanding the text, just writing it, like, I, I mean, the arms of Christ, right, like, covering me, somehow simultaneously covering the church, my little spikes would be like, you know, you could kind of see it through his fingers. But don't mistake the power of the image. If you've died, you're hidden in Christ. Listen, the hiding isn't a now you hide in shame. The hiding isn't what some of you are hiding from tonight. The hiding isn't... Um, Hiding in Christ so that you'll never be found out. The hiding is actually most closely related to freedom. 
In other words, now my mind and my heart and my soul all shift because I'm no longer living on the earth hostile to God. I'm now awaiting for his return, no longer hostile to God, but unified with Christ in death and resurrection, hidden in him, secured and protected, so that in the meantime, while I'm waiting, I live as one who has been holistically changed by the gospel. Well, the opposite is just the mental exercise or just the emotional pursuit or just service and action. Okay? That's why I love how he ends in verse 4, at least where we're ending tonight. When Christ, and and, and I wish we could put brackets on this, who is your life? (laughs) You see what I'm saying? Like, like when we're hidden in Christ, that means like we're plugged to the, to the source of life itself. That like listen, for those of you that are not believers here, I just want to encourage you with this. Okay? I hope one thing is clear to you tonight. That first of all, the, the whole premise of this truth of the person of Jesus, the whole premise of it is love. That a loving father, a caring father, would somehow send his only son, right, and that in his son's death and resurrection, that you could be hidden in his son, protected, secured, guided, led. And that somehow in all of that, you would be connected to the one place that actually provides life. Because just for those in here who don't believe, isn't there something in you at least a little bit that's tired of being connected to things that aren't providing life at all? I mean, you're, I, I understand. I mean, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to, to act like that there's life in those things because one of the worst things that we feel like we could ever do is admit that there's no life there. But I want to encourage you with this. Myself and I've journeyed with hundreds and hundreds of folks who have finally said there's no life there. And it is one of the most life-giving things when you finally step back and say there's nothing for me there, but there's something for me in him. He is, he is your life, the scripture says, okay? Look at this. When Christ, who is your life, appears and... I, I, I don't know if anyone would get at all excited about this. I don't, you know. But he, he I mean, he's coming back. Uh, we say it all the time here, and I hope you understand. Uh, the scripture rightly shows us this very humble um, Jesus who's washing the disciples' feet. You know, uh, uh, the pictures that you see on, on uh, in, you know, in uh, photographs or, you know, Jesus, this long, like, lock, flowing hair, you know, kind of ponytail behind him. Um, the scripture says in Revelation that he's coming back with a sword coming out of his mouth and his robe dipped in blood. And you're like, well, but that doesn't sound very fun. No, he's coming back as a victor. Um, and you're like, but wasn't he already a victor? Oh, yes, he conquered death already. But the final victory, okay, will be when he appears again, okay? He's kind of like sword coming out of his mouth, robe dipped in blood. When he appears, this is the power of all this text. Look at this. When he appears, you also you also will appear with him in glory. Why? Because you've been unified with him. You have literally been unified with the one source of life there is in this whole existence. And because you've been unified with him in mind, in soul, in spirit, 
Because you've been unified with him, then guess what? In glory, the things that have been hidden will be made known. Here are my children. They're heirs. My sons and daughters. They've been awaiting an inheritance, and the inheritance is yours. Keep your mind on things above. It's not to say that we just think about heaven. No, we think about Jesus who is seated at at the right hand in heaven. So listen, I just want to be very, very vulnerable with you. Next slide, okay? Here's how my heart longs. I long to read this text in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I long for my mind and my spirit, my heart, my actions, for those things to unify themselves. I'm tired of compartmentalization. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of walking in to my house at 4 o'clock, which is a party, okay? I walk in, everyone's excited, daddy's home. I'm tired of walking in exhausted from slaying demons all day as the hero pastor. And then all of a sudden, I don't have any energy or I'm too tired to engage. I'm tired of those moments. Like, what's changed from 3 o'clock to 4 o'clock? What's happened? I'm like the tomb's still behind me. But Mark, don't you get tired? I'm not saying we don't get tired. I'm not saying we, we are now perfect and that we don't sin or don't struggle. All those things happen. I'm just saying, is the tomb still empty? Are we still dead and now alive in Christ or not? And then if we are, the word becomes something different than a textbook. And like, we all leave here thinking to ourselves like, God, thank you for giving us the mind of Christ. And I'm praying, God, tonight as I open your word, that you'll show me things that I've never even thought about seeing. Tonight is a great example. Like all of a sudden I see the word mind and it like just takes me on this massive journey that I've now brought you into from one word. And you're like, but Mark, you're a pastor. No, 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 you don't understand. We're what? One in spirit and one in what? Come on. One in mind. Now that doesn't mean that we're all going to be as smart as Pastor Jared. Okay? I'll never get there. Okay? Okay? But what it does mean is that God is continually renewing my mind. He's sanctifying my mind. He's growing my understanding of him. And I'm just pleading with you. If you think that that can happen, devoid of the scripture. If you think that somehow we can unconfuse the world by staying compartmentalized, then what we're doing is actually adding compartments to what the world already already sees. Okay? Why don't you guys stand with me? Come on. the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Would you say tonight that maybe those in your life are out of proportion? We love him because he first loved us, but would you say tonight that that your love of him is more of a mental exercise? Or would you say tonight that your love of him is a really a solely a pursuit emotionally? Or would you say tonight that most of your love, honestly, is acts of service? It's like we put the love languages on God and trying to appease Him in light of it. Listen, what if right now, in this very moment, all of a sudden, God gave us cognitively in our heart and through our life 
an understanding of what the fullness of the gospel has done. So in one of those areas, um, we're just going to like provide some space and time right now for you to, to pray, for you to confess, for you to ask God to change your, your mind, ask God to couple your actions with the things that you feel about him. Let's just ask him right now for a unifying work of the gospel in our life. Come on, pray that. Come on. God, I thank you that you're sending your son again. I thank you, God, that we have now, and yet there's still some things to come. There's much to look forward to, and I'm thankful for that, God. And yet, Lord, I'm asking right now for my friends and I that we would would sit under the sanctifying work of your spirit, God, that you would teach us to live, walk, feel, understand as one who has been healed, whose sins have been crucified. God, your scripture says over and over that we're dead. I'm praying tonight, increase our faith to help us believe it. Help us know the truth, not just feel it or act like we're living it. So God, tonight, right now in this very moment, Show us again the full power of what your work has done in us.